Welcome to Faith, and welcome to our message series on the hard teachings of Jesus. They're hard, not so much that they're difficult to understand, but they're hard and they're difficult to follow, uh, to actually do in our lives. And last week we saw an expression or example of that when Pastor Stan uh, shared with us the passage from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus calls us to love our enemies, uh, to bless those who persecute us, to pray for them, uh, to forgive. And so where, you know, what kind of people forgive and love their enemies? Well, followers of Jesus, disciples, those people who have found that there is a love and a power and a grace that is stronger than hate, stronger than the offenses that they face. And so today we continue in this uh, these message series on hard teachings, and we'll be looking at this next passage in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus calls us to not judge this countercultural orientation. Let's stand together as we read from Matthew chapter seven. Jesus said, "Judge not, that you be not judged." For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will, be, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and, the, and it will be opened to you. For, whoever, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You may be seated. We possess a great tendency to think the worst of people, uh, to jump to negative conclusions about others. Uh, writer and poet Barbara Morrison, uh, who grew up in an affluent uh, community here in Baltimore, not far from here, was taught that poverty was a product of laziness and public assistance programs only rewarded irresponsibility. But when her marriage broke up, she, was, she abruptly found... Uh, herself as an impoverished single woman struggling to raise her two sons. She was disowned by her parents and then found herself forced to accept the handouts that her parents disdained, welfare. And she tells her story in her dramatic memoir, Innocent, Confessions of a Welfare Mother, about how one woman finds and grasps the lifeline that ultimately established her to become an independent woman. It is a powerful, painful, but wonderful journey, and I recommend her book to you. I 
been honored to sit under her instructions in a writing class at Hopkins. Well, she recounts an incident where someone thought the worst of her. Uh, in the process of raising her toddler, Justin, who was learning how to walk, and he was climbing up and down stairs, he slipped and fell, and, and he, he hit his head on the stairs, and it was cut, and, of course, head wounds tend to bleed profusely. She bundled him up, rushed him to the ER, and as she was being taken to uh, the room there in that emergency area, the nurse told the doctor one word that she heard kind of whispered, Medicaid. Well, the doctor uh, examined uh, Justin and uh, cleaned up his wound, put a steri strip on his, his head and stopped the bleeding. And, but then after that, uh, he, he, he uh, took his, his jacket off and, and, uh, and took his arms out and, and took his legs out and carefully examined every limb, every arm and leg, and then you know, poked at his ribs. Uh, and Barbara asked the doctor what he was doing since he hit his head and not his ribs, and the doctor said, just checking. And of course, it's important for doctors to be very thorough. We want uh, doctors who will examine all things. But then she was led down a corridor and to be interviewed by the hospital social worker where she was interrogated. How often do your children have to come to the emergency room, was asked. And she said, well, this is the first time, she responded. And then he said, do, the, do you get angry with them a lot? Well, of course not, she said. What, what does that have? Do you shake them when you get angry? Do you hit them? I told you I don't. And then Barbara suddenly realized what was going on, and she felt the fear that other welfare mothers had warned her about. Don't ask too much. Don't cause trouble. They'll take your kids away. Now, she used to think that was just paranoia, but she was experiencing the reality. Barbara knew that the children's protective services and social workers did good work rescuing children from abusive situations and that they were often overworked and underpaid, but this hospital experience made her realize the real power person has to build a case that could take her babies away, and she was never again free from that fear, a fear that emanated from the presumption of thinking the worst about her. Thinking the worst about people is not unique to a social worker. We often assume the worst uh, we have critical spirits. We label and judge people without really thinking about our attitudes and our words. Even as believers, there is a great tendency towards negative presumptions and disassociating from people Christ has called us to love. And Jesus knows this, and here Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, he tells you and me, that we must fight this uncharitable orientation that is opposed to Christ that hurts our witness. Here Jesus encourages gospel graciousness. He gives encouragements against critical judgments. He gives encouragements for self-correction, encouragement for critical discernment, and encouragements of a father's love. And this is in the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon that Jesus gave in all of history. And this last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus now begins to focus on relationships. Christianity is not an individualistic faith. It is a 
faith that builds community. And Jesus shows us how to guard and protect our relationships in community, that we might be a community of grace. And so here Jesus begins to talk, and he's talking about specks and logs and pigs and dogs. And uh, someone said, a uh, stand-up comedian said, if you read this passage just the right way, it kind of shows some of the apparent contradictions. You know, Jesus says, don't judge, don't judge. But then he calls people pigs. And, you know, don't judge you dogs. Don't judge you pigs. I mean, it's just a comic, a comedian can, uh, can bring that out. But what, what is Jesus getting at? What is Jesus trying to encourage here? Well, he's encouraging us against critical judgments. Judge not that you be not judged. And there's a range in what this word means, judge. Uh, on one area, the word, on one range, it means to evaluate, to discern, uh, to, to differentiate between what's good and bad, what's uh, evil, and what is uh, better or what is worse. Jesus is not forbidding those kinds of discernment or value judgments here. Ken Sandy said, Jesus is not forbidding critical thinking in the positive sense, which means to evaluate others' words and actions carefully so we can discriminate between truth and error, right and wrong. And right after this passage, Jesus uh, talks about watch out for the false prophets or watch out for uh, those that come in sheep's clothing. And so Jesus is telling us to be alert. He says you can tell them by their fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. And so Jesus is calling his disciples to be discerning. So judge not cannot be understood as a command to suspend critical discernment uh, about relationships uh, with people to turn a blind eye to their faults, to pretending not to notice them or to avoid or to abstain from all criticism or to draw lines between what is true or false or good or evil. And this verse, by the way, as many of you maybe know, is probably the most, uh, uh, the biggest verse that is taken out of context. Anytime anyone makes a particular value judgment, they'll say, don't judge don't judge, and they're using this passage, but that is not what Jesus is referring to. But there is a meaning in this passage about not judging that Jesus is getting at, and that is the other part of that spectrum is to exclude, to punish, to condemn. And uh, this is only reserved for Christ, for God himself, the, the judge, and it's used by God in the scriptures. Uh, but James uh, reinforces, don't speak evil against another, brothers. And so what Jesus is not saying is that we shouldn't have critical thinking, but what he is saying that we should not be a people that cut people off, that condemn people, uh, that, that uh, arrogantly presume that you are in the place of God to judge people, to have that prerogative. John Stott said, the censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. Such a critic puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their proposals, and un is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Worse, such a critic claims the confidence and authority to sit in God's seat of judgment upon the brothers and sisters. And so what Jesus is saying that we should not be doing is to have that kind of critical judgments, not looking assuming the worst in other people, to sum up the command to judge is not to 
not a requirement to be blind, but it is a plea to be generous. And there was a uh, author, Stephen Covey, he wrote the book uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he talks about how he, he uh, entered a subway uh, car in New York City, and he, you know, was sitting there quietly reading his newspaper along with other people in that subway, and he noticed that uh, it came to a stop in and a man with several children followed, and these children were just very rambunctious. And this man sat next to him, and these children were like yelling at each other, pulling at each other, uh, even uh, disrupting and tearing p- papers from other, other passengers' hands. And, and the man was totally like not observing what his children were doing. And and as, as Stephen Covey was sitting there, he's getting more upset. Apparently, everyone else realized how, how these children were poorly behaved. And so he mustered up a strength to, to speak to the man. And he said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. And the man lifted his gaze as if... Uh, to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and softly said, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Now, can you imagine how Stephen Covey felt? He said this was a his paradigm shifted. And, you know, Jesus is calling us to have a different paradigm as we interact and as we engage people. Not to presume the worst, but as God's people, as Christ followers, to presume the best and to give people the benefit of the doubt, to have a generous spirit. Uh, and really, this is how God behaves or treats us. Uh, God himself shows how he responds to us in love. And of course, love is the call that we're supposed to have towards people. And, and Paul says love is patient, it's kind, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it doesn't keep records of wrongs, it takes no delight in evil, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. This is the ethic of the Christian calling. And so, so here Christ is calling us uh, against this kind of judgmental spirit of condemnation, of separation, of isolation, a superiority complex. Here Jesus also encourages us to, to self-correction. And he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? And then he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, Jesus was a carpenter growing up. He learned, he worked with wood. I'm sure he cut a lot of wood. There's probably sawdust. There's probably many times that he got a speck, a wood speck in his eye that he had to remove, but... But in this image that Jesus gives, it is an image that reveals somewhat of a a ludicrous extreme. You know, he's saying, you're trying to help someone take the speck out of their eye when you have a log, a beam, protruding from yours. 
Now, you know, just try to think. Here, let me help you. I mean, it is a ridiculous image. And actually, Jesus wants us to, to, to know that that's how ridiculous it is for us to think that we can help someone else when we don't acknowledge our own errors. And so, uh, one author says, we have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. And so what he's calling us to is to a self-examination, uh, to look inside of ourselves and to evaluate our own failings and faults and flaws before we engage in the correction of others. Uh, if you want to be a, a, a person who can help, you need to see your own flaws as bigger than others. Uh, this is the this is the call of discipleship, and so unless you see your your sins as looming larger and greater, you can't really be of service to others. But this is this is hard work. It is hard work because we don't tend towards this. Uh, but we all need to be in a community, and really, Jesus is talking about that all of us have specks and issues that need to be addressed. Some of us have challenges with overworking because we're trying to find our significance in uh, the marketplace, or in academics, or in the world. Uh, some of us are struggle loving others, trusting others. Maybe there's family histories. We hold grudges. Uh, some of us are struggling with addictions. We're trying to medicate our pain. All of us have particular issues, inordinate uh, desires, things that are excessive. We take good things and they become ultimate things in our lives. But Jesus is saying we need a community that can address those things in a way that's safe and that we feel protected and that we feel loved. And so Jesus has given us this climate. But there's so many forces in our society that work against this. Uh, in a traditional culture, uh, truth is is presented as a high value, but also at the, underneath that is shame when someone is confronted and exposed. And so a lot of times people don't tell the truth because of the fear of shame. But in a modern uh, uh, Western culture like ours, you can't criticize anyone because any criticism is considered hate. Uh, everybody's culture is fighting what Jesus is presenting here. Uh, one culture says, love, love, and there's no truth. The other culture says, truth, truth, and there's no love. And even our personalities tend to fight this. And Tim Keller talks about how some of us uh, don't like to rock the boat, just our personalities. We don't like to create stress and tensions to get other people upset. And uh, we say we're peacemakers, but uh, in essence, we often fall into being cowardly. Because we won't uh, address those things. Other people will say, well, they're pretty good. I'm pretty good at truth-telling. Uh, I like pushback. I'm a straightforward person. But that person becomes somewhat abrasive often in their engagements. It's hard. You know, we, we live with our temperaments. We live in our society that, that pushes us away from what Jesus is saying. And then we have the society that's somewhat schizophrenic uh, where relativistic culture, you can't tell anybody that they're wrong because it's hate, and at the same time, 
we have live in an internet culture where people say the most scathing things that they would never say to them directly or even on the phone. And so uh, we live in this cyber world where people are, are fl- flame-throwing, and it pushes us to either clamming up, shutting up, or blowing up. That's kind of the world that we live in. This community uh, that Jesus is talking that we want to be, that we need to be, where people have safe places where they can actually address their wounds and address their issues in a way that they can grow in grace is a rare thing. But that is what Jesus is presenting to us here. So we need help. We need help. Uh, Church Father uh, Chrysostom said, correct him, but not as a foe, nor as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicines, yes, and even more as a loyal brother anxious to rescue and to restore. And so there's this, this call to gentleness. I mean, uh, my wife, a couple weeks ago, you know, she was like using her hair curler or something, a heat thing, you know, and it, and it fell out of her hand a little bit, and it grazed her eye. Well, you know, that was a really sensitive time. And so I took her to the eye doctor, checked her out. You know, she indeed had, uh, you know, hit her eye, but eventually it healed. But I just remember how sensitive your eye is so very sensitive. If you have something in your eye, you're not going to want someone to come with a hammer and chisel. Here, let me help you. Or even uh, tweezers, you know. You want somebody that with just a little Kleenex or the softest tissue can help remove that splinter. The community of grace that Jesus is referring to is a place where you can have your specks removed with great grace and gentleness. And so Jesus has given us this, uh, this, this picture of what a graceful community looks like. But Jesus also encourages us for critical discernment. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, there's actually a couple different renderings of what dogs and pigs are about. Uh, On one hand, dogs and pigs are seen as undomesticated animals. They're scavengers. You know, they're in the street. Uh, and what he's saying here is that discern what you're giving the values of the kingdom to. So what are pearls? The pearl is the pearl of great price is referred to in other passages in Matthew chapter 13 where the man finds this pearl of great price, he sells everything, and he buys that pearl. It's a precious thing. It is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Be careful how you give this Don't give it to dogs or pigs. Now, who are the dogs and the pigs that Jesus doesn't want us to give the pearls of the kingdom to? Well, they're certainly not just the normal sinners. You know, Jesus would eat and drink with prostitutes and with tax collectors, and he was a friend of sinners. So he's certainly not talking about the normal sinners, but who is Jesus talking about? Well, the only people group where Jesus starts to talk about certain names are the Pharisees, the religious rulers, who knew better, who had all of this 
theological history of God's grace and his work over the, the eons, and they trampled that grace, and they distorted that grace, and they led people away from that grace. And so Jesus tells the Pharisees and the scribes later, you know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he calls them whitewashed tombs, and he calls them vipers, and he, he calls them wolves. He calls them all kinds of things. And John Stott said that he only knew a couple people in his whole lifetime that would have fallen to that kind of category of dogs and pigs because as a norm, people don't come from the culture where they've had all of this awareness of the grace of God in history. We live mainly in a society of unchurched people uh, that haven't really heard the gospel. So we have to be very careful. And Jesus is the only one that can, I, that can call someone a dog or a pig, okay? Uh, or a fox, uh, as he called, uh, I think, Herod. But Jesus is telling us uh, that we need to be discerning about the pearl of the gospel. Uh, the other interpretation is that it's a domestic animal. You know, you have dogs in your house, and, but you don't want to give pearls to your dogs or to pig, your domesticated pigs. Uh, you want to give them the food that's appropriate for them. And some would say that this passage is talking about being sensitive and how we communicate the gospel uh, so that we give it in the pace of God's work in their lives, that we think about how this person can receive the good news. Uh, and so, actually, this, this class that Christina Rain is teaching uh, in our Soul Food on uh, testimonies and how do we share testimonies, there's different methods, there's different paradigms, there are different ways that we can communicate Christ to a person, understanding their particular personality and how they can receive that. And that's a really good thing. You know, I think about the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why did God give us four Gospel accounts? you ever wonder about that? That's a good thing to think about. Now, actually, the Scriptures don't tell us why he gave us four Gospel accounts. But I have to tell you, I mean, besides being that Jesus and his life and ministry is the center of all of human history and, and the God's flow of redemption, I believe that God gives us these different accounts because he wants it to be seen from the lens of different personalities, different needs. So you think about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector. And God... Uh, put him in the, a place where he's kind of methodical uh, and he's about knowing the promises of God and their fulfillment. And he has all these prophecies fulfilled in Matthew. Uh, but it also shows how God goes after dysfunctional people. <laughs> he goes after dysfunctional families. Uh, and it's all about how God of grace uh, unfolds this and all the promises. What a wonderful thing. And some people really need to know that God comes after me. He he has been with me in my family history, as messed up as it is, and he's coming after me. Matthew. Then Mark. Well, what's Mark about? Mark is the shortest gospel in the, in the Bible. Uh, it's short on words, but big on actions, big on gospel actions. It's, it's, it's a movement book. It's, it, it's, it's like Jesus is coming. He's, he's an activist, you know. He's not quiet, and he's going to have his kingdom. It's the CEO kind of book, you know. Um, and some people need to see that God is going to do something, that he is an activist. And then we find Luke. 
And what's Luke? Well, Luke was a doctor. Luke was, you know, he was precise about uh, the evidences and making sure that everything was researched well and examined well and that there's proofs here and you can believe in this Jesus because he has been all the, 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 the proofs of what he provided. So Luke is for the precision people. But then how about John? Who is John? What kind of a person does John really connect with in a deep way? John's a hugger. John, John's a, he, you know, he's a feeler. He, he's, he, he's a heart person. And so we, you know, he's expressed, you know, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And we find this wonderful picture of how he reaches into the hearts. You know, so God comes after us individually. He knows your personality, and he, he provides the context to come to you and speak grace and truth. And so in this passage, there is a sense of gospel discernment. How can we present the pearl of the kingdom to, to people where they are? But finally, uh, well, actually, so here's, an, here's a great illustration of a church that applied, I believe, this truth in a most powerful way. Uh, Pastor Lawrence Childs of the New Antioch Church in Philadelphia, uh, he sees the church as uh, an outpost of the kingdom of God. He sees it as a colony of the kingdom of God to demonstrate that Christ has come, and it should be a church that celebrates and unites people across the divides. He's an African-American pastor, but it's a very multicultural church, and uh, he's been blessed to see this, this, this wonderful kingdom work grow. But there was a student who was coming to his church uh, named Maki. Uh, she, a university student, was there for two years, and she, had to, she came to Pastor Lawrence. She said, I can no longer attend your church because my father told me I should not go to church with black folk because they are lazy and they are on welfare. And he said, I don't want your educational desires to suffer or dwindle. And she says, I don't know what to do. And this young lady, this student, Japanese student, had a passion for internationals and was studying Spanish, was her major, and she had this heart. And Pastor Lawrence went to his leadership team, and they said, we cannot lose Maki. And so this was their plan. Their plan was they're going to fly Maki's father, pay to have him fly from Japan to the church in the U.S. in Philadelphia and to let him see the church and to let him determine if all we are are ten cups holding out and begging and all that, he said. And because of the graciousness of God, the church had grown over the course of 10 years, and the Lord was adding to the church. He said they had African-American medical doctors. They had Asian medical doctors, Hispanic African doctors. They had it all going on. We had, we had folks broken down, and we had folks broken up. And we had it all there, he said. And when Ma and Maki's father came, he was looking around the church, and he he saw the drums going on, he saw the violins going on, and he saw the organ going on, and the congos going on, and the choir going on. He saw, and he met some nice people, and, and they put him up in a nice hotel. And he came to Pastor Lawrence, and he said, Pastor Lawrence, 
In our country, we believe that black, black folks are cursed. We believe that there's no hope for your people. And that is the reason why we were so strong about our daughter. And Pastor Lawrence thanked him for that. But then Maki's father says, we would like Maki to stay here because we believe this is a good environment. And then Pastor Lawrence said, but I want to tell you something on your way back to Japan. Everybody needs the Lord. If the people in Japan are scientists and don't know Jesus, they are not going to heaven. And that is why we do what we do. And he thanked him, and uh, Maki's father reached down in his pocket because he was going to pay for the plane fare and, the, and, the, and being the hospitality. And Pastor Lawrence says, no, we, we need to feel this pain a little bit. You go back to Japan, we had a wonderful, and he says, we... We cultivated a wonderful relationship with his, her, uh, Maki's father. And when Maki graduated from college, he sent the church, apparently, an astronomical gift to help the students go through college and to get through college. And he said, even though I don't believe in Jesus, I believe in what you're doing. I want you to continue in what you're doing. And Pastor Lawrence and the, the New Antioch Church is continuing to do what they're doing. They're continuing to be a colony of the kingdom of God in that space, that place. Where do people get such gospel graciousness? <laughs> Where does that come from? Well, it comes from a father's love. It comes from being overwhelmed, living in the father's love. And so Jesus goes on uh, to the, the nature of the relationship of grace that they have with the Father. They have access with this Father. They can pray to this Father. If you then, who are evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so Jesus reminds us in this passage that our nature... It's not just that we're a little off and that we need a little help, we need a little reform. You know, Jesus says, you're evil. Disciples, you're wicked. <laughs> you're, 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 you're hell worthy, Jesus is saying. But he's saying, you also need to know that in Christ, you have a father who is crazy in love with you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give good gifts to you. He pursues you to give you good gifts, to bless you. And that's what Psalm 23 says. He chases after us uh, with his grace. Now, how do we know this? How do you and I know that we are so beloved by the Father that he wants our prayers, that he wants good gifts for us? Because God sent his pearl. God sent his pearl to the earth. His son was trampled by raging sinners. In our blindness, we were like those dogs and those pigs that ground Jesus down. Isaiah 53 says, and he was despised. He took on our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. God knew that his only son would be trampled but he loved you and me 
He loved the world so much that he sent him. And you see, the only way you and I are going to be the kind of people who speak truth in love, who are gentle in helping to correct others, who look at our own sins and our own issues first, the only way that we can be that kind of community of grace is by being captivated and overwhelmed and live in this Father's love. And this is the kind of disciples that Jesus is calling us to be. This is the kind of disciples that Penn Lucy needs, that the Baltimore needs, and the world needs. As we close, I want us to stand. I want to read this prayer. This is a prayer that Ken Sandy wrote from his article, Judging Others, the Dangers of Playing God. I thought it was a great encouragement, a great prayer to pray at the end here. Let's pray this together. Lord, help me to judge others as I want them to judge me, charitably, not critically, privately, not publicly, gently, not harshly, in humility, not pride. Help me to believe the best about others until facts prove otherwise, to assume nothing, to seek all sides of the story, and to judge no one until I remove the log from my own eye. May I never bring only the law to find fault and condemn. Help me always to bring the gospel, to give hope and deliverance, as you, my judge and friend, have so graciously done for me. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, just take this moment to thank you, Jesus, that you, you came to us with gentleness with carefulness, with love. Lord, you addressed our sins as a careful surgeon. But Lord, you loved us to pursue us in our own darkness, to bring healing and restoration to our souls. God, help us to be the kind of community that's so living in your love that we can do the hard things, the countercultural things, the crazy things that we can show forth love to others in this world and to each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.